No, it's funny. Okay, so for this one, when it came to the Are worst of my notes. Yeah. Oh, welcome to well, then, No <laughs> Films Given. No, I was just cold, cold yeah. open. That's the name of the podcast, guys. You got it this time. I did. I remember You remembered to say it this time. Yeah, I did. Well, I'm sorry that it took so long between episodes, but we had to wait for Kyle to learn how to read. So, uh, apologies for the delay, but we want to make sure that we gave you quality entertainment. Go f*** yourself. Hooked on phonics. No, not hooked on phonics. I okay. That sounds like, again, that sounds like a weird point. Do you guys know Muzzy? No. No. Muzzy, he was that big purple guy that taught you to read back in the 90s. Barney? Not Barney. That's a dinosaur. You muzzy. Was his name Muzzy? I was a Barney kid. I didn't do the Muzzy thing. No, this was either. like this was like one of those things you had to order like off of the television, like in between Jerry Springer. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh wait, I he was had, green. Sorry, Muzzy. I just had the traditional like. You don't remember hey, those commercials? Actually, oh, no, I do yes. remember those commercials, but yeah. I learned the right way because my parents loved me. Yeah, well, I did not do that either. I just remember <laughs> the commercials in between Jerry Springer. Cool. So uh, this is my topic, actually. Sort of, but what we did here is we a bunch of people have reached out and said that they like the format of the show, where we sort of surprise each other with what our picks are going to be. We pick a topic. Pick a few sort of, I guess it's one topic, but it's a few categories within the topic. Go and a little su- off the cuff so yeah. that it's a little less scripted. And, yeah, instead of each watching the same movie and then we know what we're going to say. Some of you thought it was funnier, so we're going to try it for a few episodes, I think. Why not? Yeah. Cool. And uh, my topic, because I am an avid bibliophile, which I think is gross sounding, but basically I like books and I like I like <laughs> movies that are based on books because usually they're either hot garbage or they're really well done. So our topics this week are our favorite book adaptation, our least favorite book adaptation, and adaptations that are better than the book. Yeah. So I think I... I I love mine, and this is also one of those things where it goes very. There's so much material to pick from. This is really cool. So for this topic, after you you picked this, I immediately started listing out books. I was like, oh god, I have not read enough to do this. But I started listing out, and I was like, I am a reader. I did <laughs> read books. I can do this topic. So <clears throat> I'm yeah. ready. I'm I'm really excited. And there's a lot also that I don't know if I could pick a favorite because like you said, there's a lot of good and a lot of bad ones out there. So uh, I didn't quite we'll, do. We'll see. We'll see. I don't know. If, yeah, I didn't quite do favorite. I did a book adaptation. I like a book adaptation that was bad, and then I still went with what I think a movie that is better than its book. I I, I think I did that same approach. And I mean, obviously, with COVID, people have been like a lot more people tried to read. And do all that stuff. I played a lot more video games. Yeah, well, <laughs> or, uh, you know, binge watch TV shows or, you know. And, and because, you know, Hollywood runs out of ideas, they constantly are pulling the source material from books and plays and things like that to, like, rehash. Yeah. So, uh, let's get into it. What what do y'all want to start with? You go uh, you go first with uh, good book act or best favorite. Yeah, whatever. you guys want to do best, better, worst? 
I think we should. I think we should sandwich the shit. Shit sandwich. Okay, so we'll do favorite, least favorite, and then better. Okay, so sounds um my favorite book adaptation is a recent one. It's from 2014, I believe, and it's the David Fincher directed Gone Girl. Yes. And I mentioned mm-hmm. I mentioned this uh, in a previous podcast that I thought that it was well done, but like going back through and trying to think about my uh, really trying to dig into it and get some details. So uh, it was directed by David Fincher. It is his highest grossing movie to date. Uh, it was a critical and commercial success. What I liked about this and why I called it my favorite book adaptation is the book itself is very well written by Gillian Flynn. Uh, it's a re- unreliable narrator. So the character work has to be really well done. And I don't particularly think Ben Affleck is a good actor, but he really like did well yes. in this one because he all, he has that kind of unreliable, untrusting face. He does. So even when you're like watching these lies that he's been saying kind of develop over time. You like, you're like genuinely kind of like, oh wow, he is a fucking dirtbag. And spoiler alert, what I what I love about this movie and why I think it was a very successful book adaptation is I went and saw it on opening night. And when the twist happens, when you find out that his wife has been planning this scheme for months to frame him for her murder because he cheated on her once and made it out to seem like he was beating her and all this, and she manipulated her or all of her friends into believing that he was a scumbag. When that twist happened in the theater, there were audible gasps, and the girl behind me, ratchet as f- goes, that bitch is crazy in, in the uh, full volume in the middle of theater. And I was like, you know what? Good on you. Like that to me was like a solid uh, book adaptation where the audience in the movie was just as surprised by the twist that happens in the book. Yeah. And uh, there are a bunch of other things that people liked about this movie. You see Ben Affleck's dong in it at one point. I miss that. <laughs> I miss that part. Uh, yeah, but you do see Tyler. I'm glad. Perry. I was going to say, I've got a soft spot for Ben Affleck, but maybe I'm glad I didn't say that before you <laughs> mentioned the, the dong Neil Patrick thing. Harris also is in it, and in, he doesn't generally play a slimy, shitty character, and he played that slimy, shitty character like really well. Rosalind yeah. Pike. Then you, then you you kind of feel bad for him. You kind of feel the, bad for him because she's also just like she, she played him too. She played everyone, yeah. and like there are some differences in the book and the movie. Um, in the book, like they start peppering in little bits of how manipulative and like shitty she is and psychopath she is. Like through the books, so you get little hints of it before the twist happens, but the twist is still just so out, jarringly out of nowhere. And then, uh. In the book and in the movie, like, they show, oh, yeah, she, like, ended up getting pregnant and, like, is forcing him to stay in the marriage, whatever. In the book, she is, like, a lot more manipulative with it where she, like, fro- like told him that his sperm was gone and then kept it in the freezer of their own fridge and oh then did God. it herself to, like, trap him in it. Yeah. There are a lot, like, the book, gross. <laughs> the movie was well done and, like, from a directing standpoint, my last kind of thing I'll talk before you guys do because I've been rambling is... No. You've um, been hot today. Sh- I'm, I, I came like in it. hot today. Um, <laughs> David Fincher also has that, that tone where everything's kind of dark and his shooting style is very kind of 
it almost seems very toned down and bland, so it really makes you focus on the dialogue and the details of what's going on. So it made all of the shady shit and everything really more impactful. So that's why I thought this was a really good book adaptation. You know, I've never read the book, but I've seen the movie multiple times. And if it's anything like the book, then the book is great. It has to be. It, like you said with yeah. that twist, I think that's one of the greatest twists I've ever seen in a movie. And again, what you said, the acting was great. How Ben Affleck was, yeah, he's a shady, shitty guy, but he just, you could just see he doesn't care because he didn't care. I love those scenes where they, where's the one where they take the picture of him next to his wife and he just, his face is melting almost. (laughs) So good. And then whoever, I don't know the actress's name that plays his wife is just fantastic throughout the entire thing. Yeah, the uh, except for Tyler Perry, in which oh, he see, even was enjoyable in this I, movie. I he, he was okay in this movie. Okay, but another I still soft spot I, I, I have like is him. for Tyler Perry. Uh, why don't you go <laughs> fucking watch Medea, you creep? Oh, I, I love Medea. I, I watch all the Medea movies. There's Medea goes to jail. I <laughs> You have to appreciate them for what they are. But I'm getting off topic. To go back to the Gone Girl thing, I think the whole. Did he actually do it? Did he actually not? And then the twist at the end is definitely what defines that movie and makes that movie so impactful with the tone that you're talking about. So absolutely. And it's perfect when it is too. It's not too late in the movie. It's like smack in the middle. So then you see the whole, whole second half of the movie is her, which is great. She's so good at being manipulative that even though her plans change and things start twisting and it starts going towards Ben Affleck, she's got plan B to where he gets stuck with her at the end and he just kind of has to go right, with it. And he has to basically like just suck it up and like accept and like go along with the lies that she did because he's afraid for his like kid. I love how yeah. like she gets robbed of her money by like the shady people in the, the trailer hotel, the trailer people. people. Yeah. And like whenever the lady's like, oh, like they're watching the news story about Amy and it's like, oh, she looks like an uppity c- or whatever. And then she like picks up her Mountain Dew and spits in it when she's out of the room. Yeah. You just see that she's like, oh, she's just a spiteful lady. And I mean, granted, Ben Affleck was a bad person to her and he cheated on her and he like, it's kind of the book. He never hurt her physically, whatever. But in the movie, they make you believe like that. Oh, her diary entries are like legitimate tellings of what's going on, which is why the movie was so effective. It made you like fully believe this crazy bitch's story, which she was legit. Like the the whole thing with Neil Patrick Harris, where she planned like and like basically fabricated all the film to make it look like he had been assaulting her and now she like just shows up in blood to Ben Affleck's house and falls in his arms he's like you fucking bitch like it's just it's so like there were just oh and then she like ah and faints yeah so the moral of the story is bitches be crazy (laughs) (laughs) Roseman Pike be crazy okay uh Frankie what do you got all right, so I'm going to kind of double dip into this because this movie is, or this book is actually one of my favorite books. And it's kind of a book that doesn't have a, I don't know, begin to end plot. Like a lot of stuff happens, but also nothing happens. And that's Stephen King's Pet Cemetery. Yes. It's definitely a personal favorite. And uh, I could definitely watch those movies again because I've, I've seen them multiple times, both the new and the original. And the book, I thought, was just fantastic. It was the first time I read a book and actually felt attached to characters and actually felt emotional as the book was progressing. So that's why I picked it as my 
my best, oh, if you will. What's your favorite part of it? Oh, okay. I think my favorite part is the character, the neighbor Judd. Well, sometimes that is better. The person you put up there ain't the person that comes back. Well, yeah. I love him in the first movie, the second movie, or the you know the remake, but also in the book. Like he is to me what makes Pet Cemetery so great. He's like just the wise old man that tries to help. Uh, you know Judd. the family. Yeah, the the movie that the family that moved in next door. You know, a doctor. What was the what was the dad's name? It was Doctor Something, right? Uh, ooh, I don't remember. <laughs> Loser. Something. <laughs> um. <laughs> Uh, my favorite part of this movie, everybody, like, I laugh all the time. I laugh now, but it was horrifying as a kid, was the sister with the spina bifida. Terrifying. Absolutely (laughs) terrifying. I think it was a dude that played that part, too. Yeah, I remember, uh, it was like an interview or something, the director was like, I wanted a guy to play the little girl with this uh, physical disability because I knew it would make it that much more terrifying and i think i think they're right like they were onto something oh, but the little kid too like the little kid who played yes Gage, like i love that he did all these like bit horror movies and he doesn't do anything anymore because he's like no nah, i'm good like he was in um west craven's new nightmare oh okay and he was also the kid from kindergarten cop boys have a penis girls have a vagina wow <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. It, same kid and yeah it's it's kid acting i think at its one of its finest because you you feel sorry even though the kid all right so just to backtrack a little bit if you if you don't know anything about pet cemetery i was about to say what is this movie about so pet cemetery is about this family that he's a he's a doctor and he got this job at this college and both movies in the book kind of follow the same premise they move out to the country and they buy this property and in the backyard a few acres off through the woods there's this place that's called the Pet Cemetery, and it's where this town buries all their their pets. But if you go a little bit further past that Pet Cemetery, there's this old ancient Indian burial ground. Uh, Native American, stop being racist. Oh. Well, the ground is saw. Yeah, the ground is saw. <laughs> the ground is saw. Sometimes and, dead is better. <laughs> and if you bury pets there, also people... They come back from the dead. And the way they come back is not always the way you remember them. Oh, boy. So, is it? well, because in the book they touch on it, it's basically they're, they become possessed by a Wendigo spirit, which is a Native American thing where, like, it's like a cannibalistic demon thing. Yeah. That's always hungry. So it's like in this book, the iteration is kind of like they're hungry for vengeance and violence. And so, two tidbits. One, my brother, when he was born, my dad was reading this book, so my brother's nickname that he has gone by his entire life is Gage. <laughs> yes, the little boy that gets hit by the Mack truck was... Yeah. <laughs> my brother was I named after him. about that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and Rough. the other thing is, Stephen King, um, n- like, notoriously, did not want to publish this <laughs> book. Well, bless you. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, he, uh, couldn't help it. Uh, he did not want to publish this book. It was like, he said it was too depressing and dark. And, um, he said it lacked any type of joy or like happiness in it. And it really does not end on a good note. Everybody ends up in a bad way. There is no happy ending at Pet Cemetery for either the movies or for the book. And I think that's maybe one of the things that stands out about it for me is because you don't 
get the ending that you want. There's no payoff. There's, There's no, no happiness. You you go through, you suffer with the characters, you you travel with them, you feel sympathetic, but also you're there at the end with them too. In the new one though, weren't you, didn't you feel like it was cheapened because they didn't kill the little kid, they killed the daughter instead? I, th- I I know why I can they did see it. that argument because I went with somebody who thought that and I was like I thought it was neat that they did the twist and they made it the older girl that died because as an older kid you kind of can do more things as this possessed person that's come back from the dead than you can as a little kid even though that little kid did some shitty shit and you know re- rest in peace my favorite neighbor next door oh, yeah. from Maine so. <laughs> Well, and uh, for those fans of Stephen King, which I am one, uh, the little girl is going to be the Drew Barrymore character in Firestarter in the remake. Hmm. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So, so she, two, she can work. <laughs> two Stephen Kings under the belt. Nice. All right. Exactly. So I, I think I hit the, the – just to touch off before I pass it off to, to you, the first uh, movie – uh, Pet Cemetery was kind of like a Cliff Notes version of the book because Stephen King actually wrote that screenplay. Oh, nice! And then for the second one, we we already touched on it before. It was kind of closer to the book. It added more detail to the Wendigo and kind of the Native American battle uh, battlegrounds, burial grounds in the back. Um, but it also had that neat twist where the same characters who did things in the original movie and book weren't the ones that did it in the new movie. So it kind of gave you a fresh perspective and a fresh take. On something that's maybe like an older story. With that, I'm going to pass it over to our friend, Kyle. Okay, so which 8th grade coloring book did you decide to cite for your book? <laughs> you could suck my tiny little white <laughs> <laughs> If I could find it. No. Oh, oh, oh. It's All in right. here somewhere. So I picked... Jeez. You guys are assholes. <laughs> now it hurts. <laughs> I'm sorry. I picked... The 2005, based on the 1979 book, the 2005 movie based on the 1979 book that was actually based off of a radio show that was done by the author. World War of the Worlds? No. That's what I was thinking. The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I, I, I'm here for this. <laughs> this is one of those books that I read because I saw the trailer to the movie. I thought the trailer looked fantastic, so I picked the book up and read it. Read all five of them. I love all the books. I think they're really funny, really well done. I love the dry British humor in it. Mm-hmm. It's so good. Oh, the author, by the way, is Douglas Adams. Sorry, I didn't say that. But anyway, I I, I love it. And I understand that the movie is not really... It's it's not much like the book at all. There's so many things added, so many things taken away. Because they wanted to put stuff from all... They knew they weren't going to make all five movies. They knew they were going to do the one and be done. Oh, okay. So they put little chunks and little pieces into the movie because that's what they wanted to do. Douglas okay. Adams was actually a producer and a writer on it. So they got the sign off on all of it. So there but was respect done to the work. It was. Yeah. It was. And this, this movie is just... It's it's so funny. They put enough of that dry British humor in it to appease the fans of the book, but didn't overwhelm it where it's a Monty Python or something like that. But, uh, okay, so if you haven't seen it or read it, this guy, he's British, lives in a small town. His house is going to be demolished for an inter... Uh, not an inter... Yeah. Interstate. An interstate. And his friend rolls up, uh, his friend named Ford Prefect, 
who turns out to be an alien and saves his life because not only is his house going to be demolished, but the entire planet Earth is going to be demolished for an interstellar highway. Um, which, this, this is the kind of things that this movie does, is it has a little idea and the joke just keeps going throughout the, the whole thing. So this guy, his friend Ford, helps Arthur and they go on a hijinks through the world. The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, where it got its name, is actually a book. It's uh, outsold the Bible. Um, and yeah, they just go around the universe or you're, galaxy. You're, you're little digs. Like, uh, any, <laughs> any chance to talk about the Bible, you're, you're there. Yeah, and they just go around. Heathens. One of the reasons you're I there. one of the reasons I love this movie is because this cast is absolutely fantastic. I agree with you. You got Sam Rockwell, That's most deaf, who might be one of the best characters. He plays Ford Prefect, the friend, plays him so perfectly. He's so good. The casting of this movie was You good. got Zoe Deschanel, Martin Freeman as the lead, Bill Nighy, uh, John Malkovich, and then you have some really famous voice actors in there with Steve Fry, Helen Mirren, uh, Ian McNice, Bill Bailey, Alan Rickman. Sam Rockwell is also in it. I said that first. Okay, well. That was the first Excuse me, I blacked out for a second. Yeah, yeah I remember. just this movie, it's fun. It's silly. It's quirky. It's not a perfect book adaptation, but it's a fun, good book adaptation. I think Rock, uh, Sam Rockwell was definitely the standout. And I remember watching an interview with him. He was talking about this movie. He's like, yeah, it was back at a time where they couldn't afford Jim Carrey, so they just hired me. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I was like, Jim Carrey would have done a good job of that too. Yeah. But this I think movie Sam almost. Got, I think he this, did better. This movie was in, as they say, movie purgatory hell for almost fifteen years. Jim Carrey was supposed to play Zaphoid Bebel Rocks in the nineties. Okay. Um, Alan Rickman is one of the, my favorite characters from this. Uh, because just like the manic depressive robot. You can thank the Sirius Cybernetics Corporation for building robots with GPP. What's GPP? Genuine people personalities. I'm a personality prototype. You can tell, can't you? Perfect. Oh, he plays, like, a, he plays yeah. a robot that is just always sad. He always does lines like, I tell you what your percentage of living is. But you wouldn't like it. No, like it's very like he's very Eeyore, like very sad yeah. and morose the entire time. John Malkovich's character, take it or leave it. Like he does, he does his he's thing. John Malkovich. He's John Malkovich. And um, uh, Helen Mirren. If forgive me if I'm wrong, but she was the supercomputer, right? She plays Deep Thought. Deep Thought, which I like the the design of the robot, where it's just like a computer head with like an arm, like it's resting, just like thinking quietly, and. I mean, everybody like knows the quote. It's like the the answer to the life, the world, and everything. Forty two. That doesn't mean anything. It's like, well, you don't know what the question is. So, <laughs> um, I worked at a movie theater when this was out, and I watched it, and I thought it would like again. I I'm a person that likes dry humor. I thought it was funny. I own it. I think it's good. I also had read it. I, the whole so long and thanks for all the fish, like dolphins singing, dancing, Classic. fly off into Classic. space is funny. Because um, they are the smartest, or are they the second smartest? Second I smartest. I literally okay. just watched this. But then, um, also, uh, plot. <laughs> so, uh, that is the first time that I've had to kick people out of a movie theater for <laughs> <f> <laughs> And 
it was during a daytime showing of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Wow. And it stank bad. Sam Rockwell gets you going. They do well, say it's an aphrodisiac. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm with you. It's a solid book adaptation. It is. It's not, like, like I said, there's many things that are different from the book than from the movie. But I think they did a great job at it. I thoroughly enjoy it. I watch it not all the time. But that's one of those movies that, like, I'm putting on once a year at least. Like, I have to. I, I just love watching it. I mostly watch it after video games on weekends when I'm drunk, but who cares? You can revisit that movie, and the dryness keeps it going. It's, I like it. Like, it's got kind of that clue quality where every time you watch it, you get something different out of it. Like, yes. a different yeah. joke pops up that you didn't think about before, mm-hmm. which th- that's a sign of a movie that, like, stands time. Is like, if yeah. you can watch it over time and get different things from it, and it still kind of holds up because it's not. It's like, it's old timey, sort of, but not really. It's like kind of kept in its own loop mm-hmm. because it's out of outer space. So you're not kind of held to the same like timetable. Yeah. yeah. So it works. I, I approve of this message. Yeah. Stamp of approval. Solid picks. Let's take a break. Alright, cool. So, uh, worst book adaptations, and I had to, I had to plumb the depths of hell for this one. This for me, I know the last one I said, it's not the best, but it's when I really like, this is the worst book adaptation. I don't know. I've ever, I've ever, for for myself, that I've ever read and seen the movie, without a doubt. What do you got? Alright, I have the 1999 Jean Desbon directed Piece of Trash... (laughs) Second attempt at creating Shirley Jackson's The Haunting of Hill House, but title of the film The Haunting, with Liam Neeson, Owen Wilson, and Catherine Zeta-Jones. Do you not know what I'm talking about? Well, well, you know me. Never saw or read Pet Cemetery. Never saw Haunting of Hill House. I don't do spooky. No, you never saw The Haunting, like I, the 1999 one that they well, spooked Well, good news in. for you is it's not spooky at all. It's, it's not. It's, 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 it's a train wreck. It's not. And so to give you a little bit of backstory, Jean Debon, the director, directed such films as Speed and Twister. Well, two f***ing awesome movies. Right. So yeah, that's... what the fuck happened? I wouldn't even assume that he touched this movie. So, uh... Origin here. Okay, so the plot of the movie is people are brought to Hill House, this giant manor where they are supposed to be essentially doing a study on sleep disorders. But Liam Neeson's character is actually trying to do a study on mass hysteria. So the plot continues and you find out that the house is actually haunted by Hugh Kane or Crane or whatever. And the ghosts of the children he killed in this house because he wanted to fill it with the sounds of children or some awful thing. Catherine Zeta-Jones is there just doing the most to do what she can to save it. Owen Wilson is there just doing Owen Wilson stuff. Plot twist, the only person who dies in this movie is, in fact, Owen Wilson. He gets his... That's back when he died a lot. He got his head cut off by a giant chimney flue that was in the shape of a lion's head. This movie is trash. But they spoof this in Scary Movie 2, and the spoof is better than this movie. Yeah. Um, so... Shirley Jackson, this is one of the most beloved horror novels of all time, The Haunting of Hill House. And the plot of that... Isn't that a Netflix show? 
They then yeah. they made a Netflix show oh, okay. that is ju- it's lo- not really based on the book at all. The names of characters are the same. Like the children are named after the adult characters in the book, and it has nothing to do with this. It like the house is haunted, sure, but it's not really. It's not the same story. But basically, in the book, uh, this guy is trying to study the paranormal. So he invites these people there to see if they can study paranormal phenomenon and. The main character, Eleanor, you're led to believe that maybe she's, like, psychic of some kind, but the house is reacting to her. And it's not necessarily, like, a scary story, but it's, like, it's not supposed to be horror. It's supposed to be terror. Like, it's supposed to fill you with terror. I read the book. The book isn't particularly scary, but what's interesting about the book is that they lead you to believe that either all of it is in her head or all of it is absolutely happening. So... Plot twist, she ends up dying, like, committing suicide, like, with a car. She dies, runs into a tree, and dies in the house. So she's, again, the only person that dies there. But it's left on, like, a cliffhanger. Was this lady actually seeing, or was this stuff actually happening? Or was it all, like, was all or some of it in the lady's head? And in the movie, oh, she was a descendant of the lady of the house who escaped somehow. And the ghost children wanted her to come back so she could stand up to daddy hugh crane and save them all by leading him towards a statue door of purgatory so that his soul will be taken to purgatory the movie makes no sense there are nothing scary about it liam neeson is doing just the most of just standing angrily and yelling a lot and then like a statue comes up and tries to drown him sort of and they're like weird like weird special effects. This movie was expensive to make. It was a commercial success. It made bu- money and it made its budget, but it was a critic critically panned garbage. Now, I want my last fact before <laughs> I am done with this horrible movie that I watched recently for the record was it was originally going to be a Stephen King and Steven Spielberg adaptation. No. And Stephen King and Steven Spielberg ended up like having some type of production issue or some type of creative difference. So they left and that's where a different screenwriter came on. Stephen King took the story that he wanted for the haunting of Hill house and made that TV miniseries Rose red, which was essentially the, if you watch the two movies or think about them, if you've ever seen them, it's basically the same thing. Psychics go to this house to make it like that's like basically a ripoff of the Winchester mansion. And they try to get the spirits to do shit. And then it does, and then it turns out to be this horrible thing. So, Stephen Rose Red was a by far better Haunting of Hill House adaptation than The Haunting. And Haunting of Hill House, the Mike Flanagan Netflix show, is fantastic, but it also oh, yeah. is not a good book adaptation because it's besides the names of the characters, there's nothing similar. The Haunting did me dirty because it. <laughs> It, 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 oh yeah, it was bad, and, and it, Volkswagen and it Beetle didn't that. even buy me dinner first. <laughs> no, so what really drew me in was the cast. So I remember watching this movie a long time ago and thinking, "Oh, this isn't a good movie." But I think I tried. I picked it up again. It was like a year or two ago. And what drew me in was the cast. I was like, "Man, you know, a cast like this, maybe I just wasn't ready for it or whatever." But watching it again, everything you just said, ditto. Absolutely ditto. And the one thing that really stood out for me were the special effects of this movie. They were, were just, trash. They were trash, but also, 
I don't know. They're just, it's so bizarre to look at. It's almost like uh, something you would see at the Haunted Mansion ride at Disney World or something. And they tried to make it <laughs> scary, but it wasn't. I, it, didn't, I didn't like how, like, so the lady that plays Eleanor, I wish, I wish I knew her name because she does stuff now and she's a really good actress and she plays like stuff, like she goes in. In this movie, or movie, I don't know what the director told, it's the same thing as Prom Night. I don't know what the director told this woman to just act hysterical, be a sad, lonely lady and just let this house torment you because the, the part where like the roof of the house like the eaves starts stabbing into her bed and she's just ah! and then like the door opens and the house is obviously like <laughs> with this lady they see the whole house is like stabbed spike to this bed and she's just like comatose laying there with her eyes open just like Bleh! and you're like Girl, get out! What are what are you doing? And she's like, "Oh, I found a room." And then she's like, just sitting there playing a record, staring, smiling. This was her room. You're like, white white people. White people. <laughs> Lily Taylor was her. Lily name. Taylor, and she was in such classics as Maze Runner, Scorch Trials, Rudy, The Conjuring, and the, the 1996 Mel Gibson classic Ransom. <laughs> Like she is, she and she's oh, she was in Mystic Pizza. Yeah, she's That's still she's been doing a bunch of stuff. So I again, like still, she's a good great director. Cast, so terrible like, movie. Great cast, terrible movie. Catherine Zeta Jones. This was like kind of like at her prime when she did like Entrapment and everything else. And so Chicago, Chicago. Like she's arguably one of the more compelling characters in this. But even she was just kind of like, what's wrong? <laughs> oh, like she just like <laughs> in like a very thinly like. Thin, like sheer fabric with everything showing. What's wrong? Nell, should I come in here with you? Call me Theo. <laughs> and it's like, are you, what is, what are you doing to this poor woman? That's Not being... to be confused with Theo from the Netflix show. Which, Theo from the Netflix show, Mike Flanagan's wife is hot. She's hot. she's a lady. She is, she's a nice lady. She's a, a lovely woman of angelic principles. What's her name? Theo. No, I can't remember what. Uh, That's her character name. I don't know what her actual Theo name is. Miss Flanagan, I guess. I don't it, know. No, she doesn't. Like she was in. She was in. She's um, in the Netflix. She's in the Netflix show. She does all of his shows. She was. She's been in all of his Netflix things. She's also was in. Theodora Crane. She was in, yeah. In the, the uh, um, what's that movie where um, oh, Hush? Like, she was in Hush, hmm. which was also Mike Flanagan. She's a babe. Yeah. She's a nice lady. Well, with the <laughs> Haunting of Hill House is trash. Any last thoughts before we move on? Yeah, Kyle, I'm sorry. Your turn. <laughs> yeah, I didn't like it. <laughs> yeah, this movie sucks. It's a dumpster fire in the middle of this New York City. <laughs> this is worse than the Holland Tunnel. I'm sorry. I'm trying to throw a Jersey yeah, we, thing into it to like, we, keep we it tried. No, Normally you got the references, so I was like, okay. I'll, I'll throw it in there for you. Okay, go f*** yourself. <laughs> This is worse than when they call spaghetti pasta sauce instead of gravy. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so I guess uh, we'll move on from that one to mine. All right, so I guess uh, I'm up against most critics on this movie, but uh, the one that I think is the worst book adaptation, maybe not the worst, but a worst, is William Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet in 1996, which was coined Romeo plus Juliet. And it stars Leonardo DiCaprio and what's her Kate name? Winslet. Claire Danes. Claire Danes. Claire Danes. Uh, f- 
fucking love that movie. For what, what? John Leguizamo was yeah. in it. Yeah. The one, the guy that plays what? Uh, Mercutio. I can't remember. And also, was. Paul Rudd is in this movie. He plays the one that's going to marry Romeo and Juliet, or excuse me, marry Juliet before you know Leonardo DiCaprio comes in and she swoons for him. This is why, okay, I'm not, like, the movie is, I don't, I didn't particularly like the movie. I, I get it, they were trying to do a, ha- a hardcore, like, 90s edge yeah. and make it interesting. So, the set design, mo- the, modern times, yeah, the costume design awesome. was, the costume design was cool, but I don't like Romeo and Juliet as a story. No. And I know that there are people that love it. If you want a, a quick hot take on all of my opinions on Romeo and Juliet, go and watch, uh sassy gay friend on youtube and watch the romeo and juliet version because he basically just breaks it down you're 14 and an idiot and you're yeah. looking for a stalker on your grounds and then you, yeah. you had sex with this dude after four days and then you kill yourself yeah. so no I, it's definitely i think it's an overrated story altogether but here, here's why i was like okay i was like i don't like this movie the critics rod tomatoes holds this movie at 73 percent the audience holds it at a 77 percent and i was actually I guess that was much higher I was uh, I assumed it was going to be much lower, and it actually made money. So, you know, there I am against it. But if you haven't seen it, this version of Romeo and Juliet takes place in quote-unquote modern times. So much so that when they talk about using their swords and they start about they talk about using their daggers, they have guns with sword and dagger written on the side of it. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. it's it's a little goofy. It comes off as a little goofy, and that's why I don't think that it works. I, I see what they were trying to do. But I did find one critic. Actually, before I get into what he said, you know what this movie, I think you'll like this. This movie gives me the vibe of like that Zoolander scene where they're like pumping gas. The freak gasoline fight accident? The freak gasoline. Yeah, you, you that whole theme and tone that's used for that scene is the Romeo plus Juliet movie. It's so hyper it's so hyper stylized that it's it it's to yeah. distract you from the fact that the story is t- bad. Was this before Titanic? Yeah. So this is the movie that gave Leonardo DiCaprio the clout to do Titanic, which therein is like the problem for me. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I I'm with you. Like I I think it's overrated. Like the, oh, I mean it's it's better than Tristan and Isolde, which is another awful, like, Romeo and Juliet-esque movie that they put out afterward. And that one had, like, <laughs> James Franco or something in it. Ugh. There's there is, there is a lot not to like about this movie. I, like I said, the costuming and stuff was cool. The actor, there are good big-named actors really in good it. actors in it. But, it's a big like, cast. Yeah, the, <laughs> so, Boz Lerman was the one that did this. And uh, some things that... Works. Lerman did this. I didn't name the guy. <laughs> okay. His are parents we, named are him. Are we supposed to know who he is? Well, I was gonna get into it. Oh, okay. So okay, so that he kind of keeps that similar tone throughout his movies, and I didn't think it worked for Romeo plus Juliet, but a movie that I think it works great for is Moulin Rouge. He also directed that movie. Yeah, so I think that's such no, a fun okay, movie. Good and it, good you know. for trying. Vous avec moi. That's exactly what I said. Sure. It's close. Okay. What are your it's thoughts? Do you it's have pretty any? good. Um, I, I agree. Romeo and Juliet is so outplayed. It's so stupid. Did you have to read this in high school? Because I sure as shit. I had to watch I, this movie. I did. Ugh. I had to watch the movie. You had to watch this movie? Yeah, yeah. they showed us this they movie. Us this They're movie. like, okay, we read it. Now you get yeah. to watch the movie. Oh my God. So maybe like, we did read it. I don't think they would have watched made us watch a movie if we didn't read see, it. See, I don't I, 
remember. It's usually I, the, I you watch it after you read it. I had it, South yeah. Carolina education. They didn't even make us watch this movie. They let us read it, and they're like, what do you think? I'm like, it's awful. And they're like, okay. But yeah, All right, moving I, on. I, <laughs> Cut print, moving on. We're going to watch Star Trek. <laughs> I think this, yes! I think the, the story is stupid. But again, it was written 800 years ago or whenever William Shakespeare was alive. Bill. <laughs> Bill <laughs> Shakespeare. Bill. But yeah, I, I like the scenery. I like the set. I like the, the costumes and stuff. I thought that aspect of it was cool, but also it was campy and dumb. I'm sorry. You've seen Twilight or not Twilight. You've seen Hot Fuzz, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> you killed him? Like they killed Bill Shakespeare? Who? What? Oh, okay. <laughs> sorry. Yeah, good reference. Before, before we uh, get off this topic, I just want to say... This critic kind of agreed with what I said. So this is Owen Gleiberman from Entertainment Weekly. What's with these f***ing names? I don't name these people, <laughs> Kyle! <laughs> so it says, It was a slick blast of decadence. The kind of violent, swank trash music video that may make you feel like reaching for the remote control. And I agree. That's probably That's why fair. I liked it, because it sort of reminds me of a Motley Crue video. <laughs> this was, and I love Motley Crue. This was very much a movie made for the MTV age. Yeah. Before MTV yeah. stopped doing music videos. Yeah. All right, what you got, Kyle? Because I'm sure we're going to just rip this to shreds. If you think it's bad. Oh, it's bad. <laughs> it's bad. This is one of those movies that are based on a book that you walk out of the theater and you say, what did they do to my baby? Even though I didn't oh. write it. Aragon? No. <laughs> I have heard that before, too. It's the 2002 Wachowski family-led by the 2004 novel from David Mitchell. Cloud Atlas? Cloud Atlas. Oh. oh. See, I, uh, I'm... Okay, I have mixed feelings about this, but I'll let you continue. So, the book was so fantastic. The plot of it is way too much to get into, but basically, it takes place over six timelines. It all has to do with how the spirit moves from one body to another generationally. And if you're good, you're going to continue to be good or go into a good body, spirit, persona, whatever. You're bad, you're going to stay bad and stuff. And the way the book did it was was perfect. It was, a, it was like a Russian nesting doll. Okay? So it started off... At timeline one, then timeline two, then three, then four, then five, then six, and then went five, four, three, two, one. Easy to follow, even though the book was like 800 pages long. Many, many characters, because like I said, well, you don't, whatever, never mind. And then the movie just decided, hey, let's just can jump around to any timeline we want at any given moment because it sort of has relevance to what's going on with this other timeline and it was just it was confusing i read the book and i was confused by the movie which really doesn't make sense to me but it did don't get me wrong a lot of the places they shot a lot of the scenes are really well done the makeup i don't know when the last time you saw it the makeup is fucking atrocious Along the lines of Jada Pinkett Smith in the new Matrix. I'm an old lady. It's bad. <laughs> Let me shuffle around. It's bad. But this movie has, and this is again, just like Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I saw the trailer for this movie. It looked phenomenal. Epic. It looked so epic. So I read the book and then I went and saw the movie. But it has a great cast. Tom Hanks, Halle Berry, Jim Broadbent, Hugo Weaving, Jim Sturges, Susan Sarandon, Hugh Grant. Yeah. Has great character, great people. 
characters, some of the characters are really well done, but the the my big qualm with this is the way they jumped around. If they would have just done the Russian nesting doll thing from point A to the top back down, I thought it could be a great movie, but it was too confusing. Well, so the Wachowskis are good at cinematography. Yes. They're very good at, like, setting a scene. They're very good at that. Their writing sometimes gets convoluted. Mm -hmm. Now, I will tell you that this is one of the movies that is basically in the queer lexicon of, like, movies that show representation and that have, like, have that basic principle of love. Like, love connects us all. Kind of deal. And that's what they were going for. So, sure, did they achieve that Sure. Did they do it successfully? And did they do it in a way that compels like the mainstream audience? No. I remember watching this movie and being like, literally, it's very much like the Tree of Life. I think it was no, not the Tree of Life. The one with um Hugh, Hugh Jackman, Hugh Jackman yeah. where it like goes from past the future and it's all about him trying to save his wife and whatever. And it's very just it's like I you don't like one there's of those not dense movies. It's one of those dense movies that that doesn't give you enough time to actually pr- like care about what's going on so yeah. much. Like it was very like because of its choppy narrative. It's very like oh 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 eh done. Yeah, and that's that's a big thing that happened with Cloud Atlas is just because they jumped around so much, you have a hard time really getting to love and know the characters because while you're focusing on one, you know, they have a five minute scene and then you jump to 500 years in the future and there's new characters. And then you go to 800 years in the past and there's new characters and you don't spend enough time with one character for enough time to Tell really care. start care about them. Did, um, was, this was a box office bomb, right? Yes. Yeah. So yeah, because it was, like I said, when you watch the movie, it's epic. It's an epic movie. You could tell it's at that time where, like, what did you say, Aragon? Yeah. Where there's a lot of CGI, a lot of computer animation when that was really at its height in the early 2000s. Yeah. It was cheesy looking. Like This one be- isn't even that like, cheesy looking. But, like, beautiful... But still, it's like it. Like I, I vaguely remember the like the future scene with Jim Sturgis, where they're aren't they like riding like a light motorcycle or something, and it's very much yes. looks like Tron. And that's oh, that's like another Tron thing. or like seventies Tron, like, like the new like, Tron trying to be the old Tron. Yeah, okay, that's another thing with that scene. I, I don't know what it's called when a white person. It's in, whitewashing. Whitewashing. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, because they were when supposed to be Asians did, when, or something. When Jim Sturges was the Asian, played an Asian character. Wow, you want to talk about bad makeup fans? People listening, Google D- Jim Sturges Asian Cloud Atlas. It's yeah. bad. Like, yeah, it's whitewashing. <laughs> it's where they hire a white actor to portray an Asian character. It's like what they did with. Um, Ghost in the Shell with Scarlett Johansson and everyone was real upset about it but the Jim Sturgis in this movie they like actively tried to make him look Asian and it was it was like almost almost more I can see the argument the for the Ghost in the Shell one because like the source material this, they were like yeah we don't really care I just yeah. looked Americans at this photo cared. and wanted to vomit yeah. <laughs> but Americans is, cared more about that than but, but the thing is with this movie because of how it is characters are supposed to sort of betray but this they characters. tried to do what yep. we're talking about yes. and it's obvious this is yeah this is different I understand why they did it though like I just said because these characters are supposed to play different parts of themselves over time so they didn't yeah. want to get a 
different actor to play the Jim Sturgis character, but there's a it way to do it. That terrible. There's a way to do it in which they wouldn't offend anyone, and where they wouldn't look like that. It looked. It looks like a Chucky. And then doll. the guy on the right is Hugo Weaving. Looking like Spock. I, I thought yeah. this was a Star Trek. <laughs> looks like it. It, it looks ho- horrible. <laughs> oh my god! So Woo! yeah, okay. I I've never seen this, and I agree, that is terrifying. I agree with you. Uh, it's not. It is not. It does. It does not do the book justice. No, not not even an iota. And then look at this. <laughs> All right. So as look at this. that's Tom Hanks. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. <laughs> so, and this is another thing that I noticed real quick, and then we'll, we'll go on. He we'll looks on like break. Tom Hanks trying to be, who's the guy from Home Alone? <laughs> the Italian guy from Home Alone? Joe Pesci? He looks like, that's Tom Hanks trying to be Joe Pesci. <laughs> that's another thing with, with the makeup I noticed in this, is it was the actor's face with a little bit of different hair, and they just gave him big noses. <laughs> oh, no. It's like, it's like Tom Hanks put on those glasses with the big nose and the mustache. <laughs> It's, it, it's like that, but then like, like so a drag queen, when they try to like make their eye look more feminine, they put tape on their temples and then pull it back to give them like an eye lift. It looks that, like, that looks okay. it looks like that. that, that it's just Tom cartoony. Hanks with another big nose. That, yeah, that, that's except, that was like, you know, that, yeah. I like that one. So but. for this, I give a cloud, a cloud, a cloud atlas, a big whoop, whoop. Yeah. For those listeners who are like me and have never seen this movie, I'm actually kind of interested in watching it just for the crazy looking makeup effects that, I have, uh, that Kyle is showing me on his phone right now. I have the DVD, so I'll, I'll uh... <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, how, how long of an investment is this? Oh, for? it's long. It's, it's like three hours and five minutes. Okay, it's, so it's a long this movie. is a uh, get the bourbon out and get ready. Yeah, and it's, it's a long movie. Oh, I forgot yeah. to say Keith David's in it. Mm-hmm. Okay. So on that, I think we'll take a quick break and yeah. come back with our better than the book. This one would be a fun one. Yeah. to uh books that are movies that are better than the books this is kind of hard because everyone can have a different opinion on why this works i'm gonna say based on like effectiveness this was this was easy for me okay this was easy for me because the second i watched the movie i said that was way better than the book because i really i think when i say mine you you're just gonna be like you baby geniuses (laughs) jaws no um Mine, oh. and because we can't re-dip, I can't say Passion of the Christ. Oh. Damn it. You were just digging on the Bible. <laughs> so, um, I kind of picked, uh, I picked something very recent that I think everyone can appreciate, and I picked Dr. Sleep. And that's... Oh, yeah. So oh, yeah. I was drinking, and I wasn't able to cheer you on there, but yes. Um, the, so, I liked this. I actually had to re... I re-listened to this on Book on Tape, uh, actually, like, a week ago, because I wanted to, like firm my opinion the reason i like this better than the book is that i appreciated what mike flanagan did with it as far as bridging the gap between the shining the movie the shining the book and dr sleep the book because they had to he had to basically for lack of a better word pander to two different audiences people who love this book love the shining or and love the shining movie knowing that they had to meet somewhere because at the end of the shining book which obviously stephen king notably hated stanley kubrick's version of the shining even though it's beloved by everyone yeah yeah um at the end of the book the shining 
Jack Torrance basically comes to his senses, sort of, to help the the kid escape. And then the boiler doesn't get its pressure relief that he was supposed to do, and the hotel explodes. So I thought you meant the movie where Jack is in the in the maze in the maze and, and he's freezes. just like this. Yeah, he just freezes <laughs> with his eyes. Closed. I wish I wish we had a video podcast um, right now. Real, real quick, before you move on, yeah, I have not seen Doctor Sleep okay. nor read the book. I really want to watch the movie. Okay, so as less spoilers as you can do, I can because do. I thought by the trailer it looked really spooky, so I'm like, I'm not going to watch it. And I just recently talked to somebody that said it's not really that spooky. It's, it's not more really. psychological, it's which not, I like. And I'll you, talk, try you, not. You would I'll like do, it. So I'll try, do more, try, try not to spoil it. I'll do much. more plot points of the book. Okay. Okay. So glad you said. Oh, that. Like I'll talk about differences from the book versus the movie. So okay, I'm gonna try and do this with as little spoilers as possible. Basically, uh, uh, John. Oh, fuck, why is my brain Danny? Danny. So Danny Torrance, now Dan Torrance, basically is he an, dropped the knee? Yes. He's basically an alcoholic and a drug user um, to kind of like he does that because he's following the footsteps of his father. He winds up in a place. He's helping people die with his shine as he's getting sober. There is a girl that basically has the shining that is also talking to him. And so now is this sorry, is this something that's more in the book the shining that's like a power or something yeah right? so the shining is basically it's like the a form of telekinesis because right? they don't really touch on that yeah in the shining the movie well he, because he can see little, the, he can see bit. the ghost and he has the friend like that damn he's not here mrs yeah. torrance yeah so basically um that was good they're the villains in dr sleep are this cabal of shining sucking vampires essentially called the true knot. They present as just like anybody you would see going to like driving RVs. They are, they're all like nomadic and they track down and they hunt kids who shine, who have this shining and they torture them to death so they can suck out their steam because the pain makes the steam that the kids that shine release sweeter. And it basically gives them long life and lets them go. So, the main plot is the little girl is being hunted by the true knot. The main villain is this woman called Rose the Hat. And so cool. So it was in actually it, it's so cool, cool in the movie and in the book. In the book, the true knot are all, they're kind of lame. They're not really like very menacing. They're just, oh, they hunt and kill kids. Like that is their, their that is that. They're not, they, they, they think that they're better than humans and they think that they call the children steam heads and so they do not, all this. They're not human. They, they present as human, but they literally like, they just <laughs> inhale. Like they do like a like Colin, they do like Colin Robinson on what we do in the shadows where they just, ah, they goon out and their eyes turn yeah. blue and they inhale the steam as the kids are like doing. hocus pocus and they feed on the kids. Yes. Yeah. Or you know dementors. Or like dementors. Like yes. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so basically so the plot of the book and the plot of the book in the movie is Danny trying to help Abra <laughs> And destroy the true knot as they are coming from. Parts in the book that I wish they had put in the movie, but would not have done it justice. In the book, they imply that, uh, or they don't imply, they tell you straight up, Abra is actually Dan's niece, somehow. Remember, no spoilers. It's That's not in the movie. It's in the book. Okay. Um, In the book... The way the parents find out that Abra has the shining is she predicts 9-11 as an infant. And the true knot are at ground zero when the planes go down and are fucking... 
like sucking out the sorrow of all the people that die. There's it's traumatizing. It, there, yeah, yeah, it's very. But do it, they show stuff like that in the movie? They do no, not show no. anything about 9/11 in the movie, they, it, which good. That's still good, good a on too sensitive. Yeah, yeah. Good on Mike Flanagan for not doing that, which is why again, movie better in the book. Um, and I then, just watched something the other day. What did we watch? It was either a documentary or something where all of a sudden, out of nowhere, like it flashes, you see the second plane going into the tower. And I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah. Like out of nowhere, they show it, and then of course Dude. I start crying. Yeah, and then so not in the movie, but it's in the book. Um, and then in the book. Uh, they go back to, like, the True Knot basically owns a campground at the site of the Overlook Hotel. Or what was the Overlook Hotel. So okay. that final battle in the book is at the grounds of the Overlook Hotel, and that's it. Where in the movie, Mike Flanagan, again, had to bridge that gap. So he changed the ending just enough to make it make sense, because they are at, they're back at the Overlook, the True Overlook Hotel, he has a moment where he speaks to the ghost of his father that is obviously now tormented and trapped there. Like, the ghosts from the Overlook, like, make an appearance. Like, the way the movie did it was they really, they hit the nostalgia that people wanted yes. them to hit of The Shining, but still did a standalone movie where it wasn't just a rehash of those tropes. It's literally, I think the last 30 minutes of it is at the Overlook Hotel, whereas the rest of it is all on their own. All the actors in it are great. Rebecca Ferguson plays Rose the Hat. She is a f***ing fox. So good. And she plays it good and better, like, with more charisma than in the book. Because in the yeah. book, she's just kind of like, I'm the leader, I'm in power, I'm gonna get this steam head, this little... Like, she keeps, like, saying, like, she keeps calling the little girl, like, this little bitch steam head, blah, blah, blah. Like, she seems kind of like a whiny old lady. The mom and Dune. Yes, yep. she's the mom in Dune. But in the movie, like, she has all these parts where you truly see her being just this sinister, like, force who's just, like, there. Like, the very first part, so it's not a spoiler, of the movie where you see the fucking True Knot is she's, Rose the Hat is sitting in a field, and or, like, near a, a beach or something, and she's, like, eating a flower. Like, eating flower petals. And this little girl comes up to her, and she's like, why are you doing that? Like, you shouldn't do that. She's like, oh, no. The, the small ones taste delicious. And then it pans out and you see all the true not basically surrounding this girl. They also, the it's, movie... It's terrifying. The movie shows, like, the child mutilation, which is also, like, a very... like That's what makes the movie hard, I would say, but it's... it's it's still tasteful. It's it's tastefully done. It's it's just like where in it too, where it shows Pennywise like chomp the girl's face. Yeah, it's very like abrupt and it's very there, but it it's absolutely necessary to show how evil the the true not really is. So the movie was like better than the book in the way that it cut out a lot of the st unnecessary shit that like you don't really need to know. Like you don't need to know that the girl is psychic because she foretold nine eleven. You don't need to see like the true not at ground zero you don't need to like you don't need to know that dan is her uncle you don't need to know those things it doesn't matter also the book changed abra's race good more representation because that's like not really a necessary plot point in the book that they constantly talk about her being like white and the prettiest blonde hair blah 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 race is almost never a good plot point Right. So they constantly do that in the and they just like, I like that they made her Abra have her own identity. Flanagan really did the ending very well. The actors were good. It was Ewan McGregor as Dan. Um, so good. Also, uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi. <laughs> yeah. 
if you didn't, if you didn't know. So I really, also in Moulin Rouge. I also I just thought that Doctor Sleep was so much better. I can't think of another Ewan McGregor movie. <laughs> Train spotting. You. Robots. Robots. That cartoon. It's the cartoon. But yeah, so that's that's my movie. Any thoughts? Oh, okay. So I don't. I, you touched on a lot. So what I will say. What that movie does well on is we live a little bit in the world of the original Shining. But in the world of cinema these days, we live in a world where you can just kind of put an old actor's face on a young body and kind of have that character again. And in this, we kind of saw... Birds of Prey! We saw <laughs> we saw a little bit of the old-style filmmaking where they just cast... Oh, I should have said Big Fish. Where they, just, <laughs> where they casted another person to play like Shelley Duvall or Jack Nicholson's character... Mm-hmm. And they definitely, the one that played Shelley Duvall, did a fantastic job. So it was kind of cool to see other actors portray characters that we've known since the early 80s in well, The Shining. And that was the other like other thing. Um, the, the, the friend, the caretaker, dies at the end of The Shining with an axe to the back. In the book, he doesn't. He just gets his leg crippled. Yeah. And then in the, in the book, he helps Dan like train him to like help him because the ghosts are actually still after him. So in like, I like how they did that in the movie, how they still allowed him to like be present. He didn't have to be alive to do it anyway. Force ghost. Yeah. Whenever Kyle finally watches the movie, maybe he'll have thoughts. I will watch it the next time my wife does not work at night. Okay. Uh. I'm excited. I've been actually, and it's funny that you did. Like I said earlier, I was just talking with somebody about this movie and it's been on my list to watch. And now that you say it, it it's a good movie, yeah. That'll be our I next. would absolutely That'll recommend. That'll be our next movie. I'd recommend both I've the been, book and the movie. There are two scenes that they did like directly book to movie and they did them really well too. The one part is when um Rose is in like a supermarket and she suddenly gets a whiff of like Abra's presence and she tries to get into Abra's mind to like read her mind and Abra like mentally is like get out and throws her across the fucking supermarket. That was cool. Really cool. And uh she lays a, a mental trap because she knows the lady is still going to go after her. So Rose Hat like flies into her house like mentally and is going rooting through the files of her mind. And you just see the fucking file cabinet slam the lady's hand and almost deglove her. And she's just screaming. You're like, get it, get it. Like it's... they they didn't do it perfectly identical, but they did it just enough to keep it kind of in that realism ish. It was vi- like the filmmaking of this movie is good. Flanagan is definitely one of like the top. He's a talent. Direct. He's a real He's talent, a talent of our generation. All right, Kyle. No. Do any be... thoughts on that one? No. Or I'm any done. movie? Are we? Are we... Oh, I, oh, I guess it's my turn. Oh, Frank. He's my Frank's bad. Turn. All right, so I we pick... need order here. <laughs> God, order sixty six. Ooh. So, I'm just going to say it. I picked a strange hill to die on. And I'm going to defend this hill with my life. So, a book that I thought, or a movie that's better than the book, I picked The Cat and the Hat with Mike Myers. Well, yeah, because fucking Dr. Seuss books are for, like, four-year-olds. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. Tomato meter gives this this movie a rotten nine percent. Yeah, well, those people are idiots. <laughs> well, uh, uh, and then okay. the audience gives it a fifty five percent. The consensus on Rotten Tomatoes was that the movie fell flat because of its double entendres and its potty humor. But 
I think that's what makes this movie so fantastic. Well, it's a movie that's meant, like, obviously it's meant for kids, but parents have to go see it too. Yeah. So So there's just like Shrek, there's those adult moments in there. Yes, but I think where this one kind of, it went a little overboard on the double entendre, like a little too much (laughs) for like... A person taking their kids. Like, I, as an adult watching this, I'm like... You dirty hoe. Yeah, you dirty hoe. I'm sorry, baby, I didn't mean it. Um, I, I, like, uh, I like this movie. I don't think it's a particularly great movie, but I I mean, is it better than the book? Yeah, it's longer than 12 pages. But, but <laughs> I, think this, I think this movie is so much fun. I love Mike Myers. Kyle and I agree this, on this was wrong. This was one of our lightning rounds. Who did it better? Jim Carrey is the Grinch or Mike Myers is Cat in the Hat? Yeah. Yeah, that's and true. And I that's believe true. I said Mike Myers is Cat in the Hat. Yeah, you not did. to do it. I think he's so funny in that role. Not to so do a good. tangent, but like in Adam's Family Values, where the kid is like a good kid, and she's reading it, Cat in the Hat, and she's like reading the rhymes. Do you enjoy this? To think a child of mine, and then she flips to the back. Oh no, he lives. <laughs> It makes me laugh every time. Um, the cat in the hat. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm on board with the fact that it's better than a nine percent. I'm like, yeah. I'll give it like a fifty-fifty. Like if I saw, if I walked into a house and I saw it, I wouldn't cuss out the family that was watching it. <laughs> It's Why a, am I walking a to a random family's houses? I don't know. I don't. I, I don't plan You're to know checking my to see life. what movies they're playing. Apparently, yeah. <laughs> I um. The only part I didn't like it. I haven't seen it in a long time. So Alec, I, Alec Baldwin. I might no. I thought him. I thought him playing like the trim, fun guy that all of a sudden he like takes his pants he's off. A scam he, he's a artist. Fat yeah, he's piece a, of shit. Yeah. I didn't like the very end. Like, didn't. So now, he plays himself. <laughs> now correct, correct me. Correct me because I don't really know. But at the end, we're like, doesn't the house start melting and they go into some different world? They go or... into the cat's world because they left the trunk it's like open. Chaos or something like that. Yeah, part to his me, world I just... escaped onto well, theirs. Yeah. Well, I, well, I mean, you had to think they had to come up with some cost to the yeah. movie because it's not. Oh, he just has chaos. Like he's just a chaos. It had to be more cat. than just the kids learning a life lesson. Yeah. Well, I mean, they that is the movie, but. The bigger, bigger scope of it. Wasn't that Dakota Fanning? Yeah, yes. Dakota Fanning and uh, that kid. That, that kid that did, was in like, all the early two thousand stuff. He did like two or three things. Oh yeah, he was always around. And is it Beans in this movie? Beans yes. from Even Stevens. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> Beans wasn't. Wasn't he like the neighbor kid? Yeah, he was and like the, the neighbor the, kid. The fish, the talking fish, was like supposed to be kind of like the side humor. I think the thing I hated most about this was the things. They're, the they're creepy. creepy. They are creepy. The thing- Spencer Breslin played Conrad Walden. He's the kid that was in everything. Ah, oh, yeah, 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 the early 2000s. Yeah, kid. I just, I think, like, the things definitely were, like, distracting. What's the, creepy. what's the fish's name? Is that, no. Mm. I'm trying to find the actor, because wasn't it, like, a funny actor? Wasn't the guy that plays the boss that's like, you're fired, fired. Mr. Humperflug. He's, uh, in, uh, Will and Grace. Yeah, so he does play both roles. That's why. Oh, I'm does he? Because oh, he's like bad. the yeah, the mom's boss, and, and he talks for the fish. I barely watch Will and Grace. Bean, the the guy yeah. who plays Bean, his character's name was Dumb Schweitzer. <laughs> <laughs> he does look dumb. All right, I don't really have much to say. I no, mean, I I'll die on the hill defending Cat in the Hat. Better every than the day book, of my sure. life. Better than the book, sure. <laughs> All right, Kyle, that, we're going to pass it on to My you. My turn, okay. I have a feeling I might get some heat for this. Ooh. 
because it's if a you say Showgirls. I love Showgirls. <laughs> Actual Showgirls isn't based on. I used to I used to watch Showgirls all the time just to see boobies when I was young. <laughs> We could talk about showgirls for an entire hour. But also, <laughs> Keep going. That's why anyway, I watched Terminator. You can I, pause it at the right time and you can see a little bit of Linda Hamilton's nips. <laughs> You're a fucking weirdo. It's okay. You can slow-mo dong roll and see Ben Affleck's dong. Woo! So keep going. I'll be doing that after this podcast. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. go ahead. So I might get a little... I might get a little slack for this or flack or whatever the saying is because this is a beloved series. And there's one book in particular that I did not care for. And that is Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. And you thought the movie was better? I thought the movie was better. Okay. So, All right. So for people this, who are not familiar with Harry Potter, which one is this? That's the so fifth this one. This is the fifth one. Is this the one with the games? No. No, that's Goblet of Fire. That's the fourth. So this is the one. And that's the reason why I didn't like this book. Okay. The fourth one was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I keep getting text messages. Stop, people. The fourth one was fantastic with the with the games, Goblet of Fire, you know, so much action, so much intensity. Yeah. And then at the end, spoiler alert, Voldemort comes back. Harry gets transported to this graveyard, Cedric Diggory dies. You know, there's this big confrontation between Harry and Voldemort, which awesome. Voldemort's finally back. And I was much younger, I think middle school, maybe early high school when this came out. Early so, high school. So I was like, this next book is going to be awesome. There's going to be this big war between evil and good. Harry Potter and Voldemort are finally going to clash. And it's going to be so fucking cool, man. And there was nothing in this fifth book. And now as an adult, I understand she had three more books to write. So we're not going to get right into the war. It was a slow burn adding up to what the final conclusion So would be. we're talking about why the movie was better than the book. I'm just talking about the book. And this is why I didn't like the book. Okay. Fast forward. Movies are coming out. Movies to me, the movies were always mediocre. Never as good as the book as this tends to be. I saw Order of the Phoenix. To this day, it's one of my favorite movies of all time. Oh. I love this movie. I love how the tone changed from one, two, three, four. Very kid friendly, very light. It's Harry Potter. They're yeah, young. The, the end of the fourth one is cer- certainly like it the do- it a takes, dark moment. It takes a hard right into dark yes. territory. And then the fifth one comes out, and this you could see just from the color of the film. It's dark. It's gritty. It's it takes this turn into what is coming for these next three movies. Which is fantastic. You have arguably one of the greatest villains of all time, Dolores Umbridge, who is more sinister than Voldemort half the time. She was worse in the book. Yes. But the way it was played. Perfectly portrayed. Even as an I like a I like Harry Potter, but not even as like a big following fan, I will say yes. And then this movie and one of my favorite aspects of it is this movie took the magic to another step where they cast spells and they get stuck together and, you know, the energy is blasting at each other or the, uh, not Dementors, Death Eaters go into this black smoke and they can fly around and then Dumbledore's army can fly around in their white smoke and they're clashing. and then the Order of the Phoenix. Order of the Phoenix, yeah. It's the name of the fucking book, Jesus Christ, Kyle. (laughs) 
And but I thought the way that they shot how the wizards were portrayed was just phenomenal. The way they they did the spells, the acting again, it's a bunch of kids acting, but the acting got better, the characters were better. And I just thought it was better than the book. I'm going to so I like imaginative mind, like I liked the book. I didn't think it was that bad. I will agree with you. It's a little more slow paced. It's like, it's slow burner. Mm -hmm. The movie, what like they did better in the movie than they did in the book was how they portrayed Umbridge as being just kind of like, huh? Like haughty up. Like she's like the upper class white lady. She's the Karen of the Harry Potter universe. (laughs) And she's very like, and like she's sinister, but like quietly sinister. When the book, she's just, I'm a bitch and I'm mean. Whereas in the movie, she's just like happy-go-lucky. She's got her cat plates and doing all this. And then she's torturing the shit out of them. Yeah. And I was like, the la- the actress that played her did a great part. And she's a very well-known British actress and deserves the credit for like bringing that character to life. Oh, yeah. The uh, final fight between uh, Dumbledore and Voldemort. So good. In the book, it was it was cool to read, but like... You couldn't imagine the visual scale of what was going on. So in the movie, they had this daunting task of trying to do it. They changed some things. They didn't make the statues fight or whatever. But like the how they did the whooshing water and how they did the giant fire dragon. The Voldemort snake thing. took all the glass and shot it at Dumbledore, and then Dumbledore turned it all into sand. Like it was very it was so well done. It was, it's very good and like. You know, I didn't. I was bummed out when the original actor died, and they hired Michael Gambon to play Dumbledore. Rest, rest in peace, Richard Harris. Yeah, but trying to imagine Richard Harris doing that scene, it would not have happened because he just couldn't move that fast. Whereas Michael Gambon was obviously like, "I'm old, but I can still cut a bitch," and he sure as shit did. Or towards the end, <laughs> and this is what I'm saying: the tone switched in these movies. Where in the first few films, Dumbledore was very nice and happy and loving to Harry. Towards the end of the film, when he realized what Harry had to do, he was a f***ing prick to him. Well, and it was like, oh, he in the book they explain it, he's like, I assume that he could read your mind or invade your thoughts, so I did not want him to see me and know what I was plotting. They didn't touch that at all. They just talked to him, oh, he needs to go into occlumency, blah, blah, blah. They did, they did a bit in the end of the at movie. The end of, at the very end of the movie. But... It was, like, barely touched on. I agree with you. The movie was much better than the book. And I think it just... And and the big part to me why I liked it so much, I probably have said it twice already, but just how it set the tone for the ending of that absolutely fantastic series of movies. I... Besides Deathly Hollows, because I love when big things like that culminate come to an end, I think it was the best movie of the seven. And Deathly Hollows, there was a lot in the book that... They could have, like, there was a lot in the book that people were bummed out that wasn't in the movie. So, as far as the movie to book ratio goes, I agree with you. Like, this one was probably the most successful at being better yeah. than the source material. Whereas the other ones, like, or like, Goblet of Fire is my favorite book and it's great. And the movie wasn't bad, but it felt a little cheap on some things, like, specifically the tasks that they had to do. So, yeah, the fifth one d- certainly. Well outpaced the book. Yeah. Neat. And that's my opinion, folks. <laughs> cool. So you guys want to take a break and then come up with a lightning round? I got one, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, absolutely. 
All right, so we will come back with a lightning round question. All right, lightning round. Uh, I actually prepared one today. Yeah, me too. Okay, so if you... Okay, in Doctor Sleep, if you could be in an immortal soul-sucking vampire that could live forever and have mental powers be from killing children, but you could live forever so long as you did it right, would you rather be a true knot or would you rather be a person with the shining? I'm going to say a true knot. (laughs) Kids, like, I could live forever and have mental powers. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, infinitely wealthy because they just do what they want to do. I think, you know, I think given this day and age, the world's going the shitter anyway and kids are awful. I'd probably be a true knot. Give me, I'll be Rose the hat. I'll put on a top hat and like with people. Call it done. (laughs) Done. I don't have to work anymore. I don't have to work with these assholes anymore. Yeah. All right. I'm going to have to go with, I would just stick with the shiny because I would find it tough to kill some of the kids because you can't, they don't get to pick which kid has the shining. So it could be like a, a little sweet kid that has the shining and there's like this asshole kid. It's always who, a sweet kid who, in the book. Who, <laughs> but yeah, who, was, you don't all, you don't have to be the killer. You can just be one of the people sitting there. Fucking, <laughs> just with just, a straw, just, just enjoying, enjoying the buffet from the side. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think I'm going to, I'm going to stick with the shining because yeah, I don't know. There's some cool things you can do with it, especially if you have certain abilities, like with Ewan McGregor's character, he helped people pass on oh, cool. so you'll help people so die like, like, you won't die so you can there's live like there's okay. like there's like cool hero- heroic i know that sounds cheesy there's like cool things you could do to actually help people who are good as opposed to i know slaughtering the kids like anakin skywalker from episode Kyle's three going. i just have one question <laughs> as i have not seen or read okay what are they called the dreadnoughts true not true not can they die the dreadlocks they can die yeah, like they can die like a normal person, like get shot and stuff. But okay. there, the but the steam can also help heal them. Okay. But they do. Live then a in long that time. case, yeah, I'm definitely gonna <laughs> suck those mist out of the kids or whatever it's called. The I'm steam. gonna suck the kid off. <laughs> be a true knight and live for as long as I want. Then once I get sick of life, I'm just gonna. And they're rich. And you know what? Rose the I Hat would love drives. To be rich. In the book, Rose the Hat drives a seven hundred thousand dollar R like super like souped up RV. Does whatever the f- she wants. She lezzes out at one point. You know what? Oh, Good for I her. would love I to have hang to have out my... with Rose the Hat. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't have to have my job now and I could... Yeah. Okay, Frankie, what's your question? <laughs> okay, all right. So, what movie would you take that was not previously a book and turn it into a book? Let's let's go backwards. Let's go backwards here. And I, <clears throat> I think... For me, I don't know. I think Back to the Future would be fun. I'd it's like a book. It's written in the style of William Shakespeare. But it was a movie first. I have it at my house. <laughs> so it was a movie first, backtrack into a book. Just... That's the one I would probably go with because uh, I think it's a fun adventure. I think it would be a quick acting book or a quick pace book. And it would be kind of fun to dive into the heads a little bit of Marty and Doc Brown. I think I would do... Um, I'd probably do Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh, because like yeah. th- there's a lot that there's a lot that's left like unsaid, or it's like 
in the old ones, certainly, they imply that maybe Freddy was innocent. Yeah. So it would be interesting to see it written. And then you could be a lot more descriptive in the deaths and not be, like, confined to the depths of, like, what movie magic can do. And, I mean, you could you could do a lot with a book of That's that. true. That's a lot. <laughs> I'm going to get you, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> get ready for a close-up, bitch. <laughs> Oh no! What? There was one, and it was awful. Oh, the God. puns, the Freddy puns, are so good. Oh, oh. there was. Oh, oh shit! Uh, I can't remember. No, there are a, like he has some like really fucking good ones. Oh, when the girl he turns the girl in the cockroach, you can check in, but you can't check out. And crushes the like roach motel. <laughs> No, ready for a close-up, bitch, is uh, probably my favorite one. I think yours is better than mine. What, what you got? This is hard, because I don't want to read anything. Let's suck face! And he, like, like kisses the girl and then deflates her like a balloon. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, I'm gonna go an easy way out. Especially for the time period that this movie was made. But I would like to see what could have come... Out more from George Lucas's imagination if A New Hope was done as a book first. Yeah. Because, like, I, it's the same situation where it is a book now. Yeah. But they had to build off of what was already canon. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, so. Th- there was only so much, especially, what, 88, 89, 87? I think, I think, actually, he wrote that novel, too. I think George Lucas wrote the New Hope novel. Yeah, but... The movie came first. No, yeah, it still came first. So, so if he could have just unleashed his memory on a, or not memory, unleashed his imagination on a book. Yeah. And then was able to say, put it to film these days, what more he could have done. Also, I any, think that would be fun. Yeah, absolutely. Any Tim Burton movie. Yeah, I was, uh, you said, you said, uh, what, New Nightmare or Nightmare on Elm Street? Nightmare on Elm Street. And that automatically made me think of Nightmare Before Christmas, but I didn't want to say it. I was going to say Beetlejuice. <laughs> like, literally any, any Tim Burton movie could be a really interesting novel. Yeah. But anyway, okay, so yeah. that's a little extra. What's yours, Kyle? Yeah, so I'm going to do the exact opposite. What is a book that you would love to see made into a movie? And I'm going to cheat. I'm going to cheat a tiny bit here. Oh, shit. Because my choice is a graphic novel, which still counts has the word novel in it but mine mine is batman hush okay are they trying to do that with uh no it's not the batman it's not the batman it's in the batman it's riddler no so what hush is and again it's a graphic novel and um yeah, it's my favorite Batman graphic novel. I don't want to spoil it because if they eventually do make the movie, it has huge twists and turns in it. But I would love to see that. I know everybody's getting over Batman because they do it every two years, but I would love to see that turn into a movie. I will line up for a Batman movie. Any day. Any day oh, yeah. of the week. Any yeah. day. Keep making them. Keep yeah. pumping those, uh, those shit Hush. Up. Hush is just too good. Oh, see, Jesus. I have three books that I just read that I think would be like really good movies. Um... Um, okay, so I have two. Um, one of them is called Final Girls, and it's basically about, like, survivor, like, these three girls that are survivors of a ser- of different serial killers basically are solving a murder mystery. And uh, the way the book read was really interesting, but the thing that I read most recently that I hope they end up doing, and it seems like they probably will, it's called The Whisperman by Alex North. 
And it's basically about in this town, these kids keep getting killed. And it's like all kind of played around this trope that this man like whispers to them at night when their parents don't hear it and then tricks the kids to like coming outside. And the reason, like it's a murder mystery, which I love, I love murder mysteries, but I actually was like kind of terrified at one point because there's a scene in the book, a scene, a chapter in the book <laughs> where this guy is like, his son is odd and he has like a hard relationship with him because it since his like wife died. And he's like, he comes downstairs and his kid is talking to someone. He thinks this is invisible friend. And he like rounds the corner on the staircase and is looking down at the front door. And there is a man with his hands through the mailbox talking to his son saying, just open the door and come with me. And it was so jarringly out of nowhere. I'm like, that would be fucking terrifying in a movie. Hell yeah. Like, so I think like if I had to say my top spot, it'd be the, that one. I really... The Whisper Man by Alex North. I had to look that up on my Kindle and be like, what was that called? I read I read like three books a week. I did the same thing. I had to go back to Audible and I was like, all right, what have I listened to or what have I read in the past that I could pick something from? And I think I'm going to go with... So we kind of touched on this a long time ago when we talked about our underrated villains. You talked about Aliens 3. Mm-hmm. So there was like the, the original Aliens 3 that had the original characters from Aliens 2 kind of like continuing on and not having the quick death that they had and there's actually an audible original of like a presentation that they wrote of alien 3 from that script and i think if i could visually put anything onto screen it would be alien 3 and that was written by jj abrams and see that story i think uh the original one yeah before they took over but the original script that they were gonna do that had um like michael bean and sigourney weaver and the little kid like continue on and be on screen together would be that version. And you could find that on Audible. And I think it's a really great story. And that was written by J.J. Abrams, right? The original script? I think the one that they used for this one was. Like, the, the one that's actually out in real life. But that that would be the one. That would be the one that i pick. Nice. I like your guys' picks. Thanks. What's your pick? I already did. Batman Hush. I'm sorry. My brain doesn't work. Hush, 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 hush. There's a ter- terrible pussycat Maybe they'll put like a seal song in Batman Hush when they make it. Shut up. I oh so so uh, not to belabor the point because we've been doing really good. Thank you, listeners, for listening. And my original idea for this podcast was really difficult, and it was movies where the sound like there is a song that is more memorable than the movie. I was gonna pick Bittersweet Symphony from Cruel Intentions, and Frankie, what was the one that you said? I was gonna pick Seal from Batman Forever, Kiss from a Rose, Kiss from a Rose, because if you watch. Watch the music video for Kiss from a Rose by Seal. It is literally a super trailer for Batman. Oh, it's, it's straight up just Val Kilmer. <laughs> and the and the Batmobile riding up and Seal is by the bat signal just f***ing getting it. And I was like, yeah, go Seal. Timeless, timeless music video. One of my favorites. All right. I'm Curly. I'm Frankie. I'm Kyle. Thanks for listening. Uh, we will be back in a couple of weeks. Yeah, make sure you follow us on Facebook. We've got an Instagram. Thank you for listening. We've reached a milestone, I think. That's crazy. So it's... I love It's crazy. I looked and I was like, wow, you guys actually enjoy us just sitting in a room talking together. So thank you so much for listening. Yes. It's been a fun ride so far with please, these guys. Please also let us know topics that you would like to hear, discussions, because this one came from a friend. 
some of them have come from friends, from listeners, so let us know what you guys want to hear. Yeah, the majority of the time we're literally just bickering back and forth about what topics to do next. Yeah. And we'll try and keep, we'll, we're going to try this format for a little bit, so just give us a blanket topic, and then we're just going to round robin it keep, and not keep tell us anyone keep what's us going on. All right, cool. Well, thanks. We'll see you in a couple weeks. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.